Hey everyone, Greg Meskel here. Brand new episode of What's Good. Appreciate you tuning in, downloading, subscribing, rating. We have a good guest here today. I'm a good friend, Jeff Eisenban. Jeff, thanks for being here. Uh, no problem. I feel like deja vu. We were doing this the opposite way at the beginning of the pandemic, like April, May. I can't even remember, but um, it feels like a lifetime ago, but it wasn't that long ago. Jeff, you're exactly right. I was thinking about that when we were talking about scheduling this, and it seemed like when we did that talk, it was very short term. Uh, okay, what do we think the next month or two will look like when we get back to normal? And here we are, uh, middle of October, we're recording this, and uh, it's still a very strange world out there. We were talking about, because I, I think the Olympics had really just gotten canceled, mm -hmm. if we want to really go back. And we were saying, you know, what was the difference going to be like for these athletes training for next year? And now I think we're thinking about the Olympics, like, you know, Tokyo, they say it, the IOC says it's going to happen no matter what. I feel terrible for Japan. I feel terrible for Tokyo because who's going to be ready to travel to Japan? And it's not Japan's fault. It's the, it's the whole world's fault. Who's going to be ready to travel internationally in, you know, however many, what is that going to be? 10 months? You're exactly I mean, come right. on. There, there's just so much still uncertainty. It, it really is, and I think everyone's been using the old Bill, Bill Murray Groundhog's Day movie as reference, but we really are going to get back to probably February or March 2021 and do the same dance where we're going to say, okay, uh, here we are again. Can we proceed? It's going to be very, very strange. Um, well, you do a lot of things. I'm going to sound a bit like uh, a relative here at Thanksgiving that isn't really dialed into your day-to-day -day life but knows that Jeff works hard. Uh, to quote Office Space, what Allegedly. would you say you do here, right? You're, you're involved in a lot of things. NBA 2K League, MSG, FanDuel, brand new thing coming out this month, uh, Hall of Trivia on HQ, PGA, so many great things. How do you describe when someone says casually, hey, Jeff, what are you up to? I've been just saying sports and esports broadcaster, um, or sometimes I'll throw, I, I, get, I feel like I get too wordy when I say sports and esports host and broadcaster. Um, I joked recently that, uh, on Twitter, and people love this from the UK. I said, if I was British, I would just say I was a presenter and that would be it. Um, <laughs> but in, in America, we have to explain so much. And when I tell people, when I speak at conferences, when I moderate panels or something, they say, you know, what brand do you want to, to uh, represent or have next to you? I say, oh, could I just be, just be freelance or no brand? And people start, they're like, well, how do we do, what do, I'm like, listen, I, I'm not attached to anyone. I'm like unattached in soccer terms. <laughs> Um, and I can't just, I'm not a full-time employee, so I can't just throw on something. Um, and I know this is a long-winded way of saying, but like, like I started with, I, I am a broadcaster. That's what I do. Um, you know, sports was where I started. Sports is what I love. Esports is also has been something that I've, uh, I don't want to say adopted because it's been something that's been a part of my life for so long. It wasn't what I originally set out to call, but it's provided me with so many opportunities, so much joy. I've loved it so much getting into the esports space, being an early adopter, um, and getting on the ground floor in a lot of ways. And I, I, I love to believe that I can tie everything together, right? I've done work for the NBA. I've done work for the NBA 2K League. Um, you know, I, I think that I, I'm a basketball fan who likes to play video games. Like that right there is pretty simple there. You mentioned the PGA Tour. I'm doing PGA Tour stuff. PGA Tour 2K came out. I've hosted content for World Golf Tour, which is Topgolf's video game. I'd love to host, uh, you know, some content for PGA Tour 2K and some other games. So, I, I believe that you just give me a microphone and I'll, I'll study what I need to study, not, not believe that I can do it without some uh, background research or anything like that, but that I'm you know, just going to be someone that's going to work hard, get excited. And I love, Greg, what I love is competition. 
Um, you know, I don't understand people that cover politics and I say spend their whole four years just talking about the equivalent of what we talk about with trade rumors, but then they actually have one game day every year. You know, we have game days every day, every night. Um, and that's what I love about sports and competition. Yeah, and I asked you that question initially because it's, it's one near and dear to my heart too of, of having that feeling of, of trying to be, uh, for lack of a better term, a man for all seasons, right? To be able to kind of pop in and call this and interview that. What, what's the challenge though, and you hit on it a little bit, to not get boxed in and not just be mm -hmm. Jeff the 2K League guy or yeah. Jeff the golf guy or Jeff this or that? Well, look, that's something that I've been, I graduated college five and a half years ago now, and that's something I think I've been kind of, I don't want to say battling, but something I've been, I've needed to fend off a little bit. Um, and you've been great as someone who's been, you know, someone who's been able to guide me and give advice through this sort of being more of a generalist. You know, you hear, I, I try, I say that I'm, I might be part of the last generation of sports generalists in what I'm trying to do. And there are so many people out there that say, that have said to me, you just got to focus on one thing. Like we, you know, we live in a world that if someone needs to hire someone to talk basketball, they look at the biggest NBA influencers and NBA specific journalists, and that's who they go to. They want the you know, someone to talk about fantasy football, they search fantasy football insider on Twitter and see who comes up. You know, people don't look necessarily as much. I think that's a little bit of a myth. Um, I think for, for two reasons. One, I think that, uh, you know, there's still being able to come in and out of different sports. You know, I still think that there's, from a fan perspective, people like recognizing you know their broadcasters as someone they know from somewhere else there's been a lot of talk this week about joe buck has gone back and forth between baseball and football and people will say what they'll say about joe buck but i think that the fact that that fans who do like you know i'm not saying everyone likes baseball as much as they used to but the fact that people go back and forth between sports they do have kevin harlan going back and forth between football and, and basketball i think that fans do enjoy recognizing that and let's be honest from a financial standpoint there are a lot of entities out there that still need people that can go seasonal and jump from place to place um so i think it's different i think that also one thing that i've tried to not um, to kind of not pigeonhole myself with is, is a lot of times I make decisions thinking about the long term. And I know that's crazy to say because I'm 27, but I have felt like there's been a lot of opportunities like, hey, if I just want to jump in and be the esports guy, for example, I just want to jump in, be the basketball guy, the fantasy football guy, you know, I can be that, get some, probably get twice as many followers as I have right now and get some specific jobs. But to me, that I don't think that's where my long-term heart lies maybe it's been my attention span that I can't stay focused on one thing for that long. But I also just don't think, I think that for me personally, um, I would feel that that would limit my long-term potential. So I've tried to say, hey, what steps can I take to be where I want to be in five to 10 years, ultimately, than just taking the first thing that, you know, gives me a quick burst in the next three months? Well, and you're hitting on a couple of key things there because as you mentioned early on, being freelance, right? You're not tied to any one particular thing. So, so maybe it's a different story, right? If you were the most prominent voice in a specific sport, then you'd be somewhere. But for those of us that are in that kind of freelance hustle, you, you really do have to be adaptable. You can't just be one specific thing because if things change in that environment, right? You might find yourself X'd out of the one thing you focused on. Yeah. I mean, I think that what I'm lucky enough is that I'm in my 20s. I, I'm not married. I don't have kids to raise. I don't have, uh, 
right now during this pandemic, I'm not even paying rent. I'm living at, right now in my parents' house. So um, that, but that allows me some freedom to maneuver. That allows me uh, an opportunity to take chances. And that allows me to take on kind of as much work as I want. Um, you know, I'm able to do that to say, hey, and look, I have some weeks where I'm working 12 hour days, five days a week. And then I have some days that I have four hours of work and I'm like, I guess I'll spend the rest of my time trying to build up my socials, trying to consider streaming, trying to read and, and watch and learn. I think that's such, you know, people, I think that not enough people put in enough time for that. You know, I think that, that if you're not, a, I always say, if you're not a, if you want to be something successful, you need to be a student of it first. Um, I've found myself to be a student of sports media and that may make me a nerd, but I kind of know where everyone is, what's going on, see trends, uh, follow what people have done. Um, and I think that's also incredibly important to getting, to getting to where you are. Social media, a great way to kind of build your brand, grow awareness. You've um, cultivated a nice following on Twitter, especially. And I think if you look back over the last couple of years, you've had a couple of big, big hitters where, where, where you've had some moments where a clip or something goes, goes viral. If someone is following Jeff on Twitter, what are they getting? What's the, what's that feed like for somebody who's a little bit of a headache, probably a little (laughs) bit of a headache. Um, you know, I love like yesterday, for example, we're talking on a Monday, Sunday afternoon, um, PGA tours on the West coast. Uh, they were in Vegas, so they were finishing late. Uh, you had the Tampa green Bay game on and all of a sudden I'm tweeting Gronk stats and talking about Jason Kokrak holding off Xander Shoffley and I'm going back and forth because they're literally happening at the same time. And some people may think what's going on with this guy, but you know, a piece of advice I always give is people used to say dress for the job you want. Well, especially now when no one's actually in person tweet for the job you want. And, and I mean by that is like, if you're someone sitting around and being like, ah, I would love to come, you know, be in hockey media. Like, I just love it. So tweet about hockey and, and maybe you're like, ah, I don't have that many followers yet. Well, you got to, work and grind to get there. So think about what I always tell people, think about what you're good at and tweet about it first, because that's, what's going to get you kind of to the first place. And I mean, with social media, I've always felt like I've been my own voice. um, And I've learned, like I used to tweet everything on my mind originally. And I realized that like I was congesting my timeline. It was too much. I needed to just focus on impactful meaningful tweets that differentiate things. You know, if there's a crazy play, if LeBron has a crazy dunk, don't just tweet, whoa, that was crazy by LeBron. Like, what is that? Did that add anything? Try to think about your own individual and sometimes take a breath, especially not everyone has, you know, you're not just classic chronological order on Twitter right now. Think about keywords and think about what makes sense to talk about. And the other thing is, and this is maybe why I'm you know, you said Twitter, I know I'm not that good looking for Instagram, but I feel like also, you know, there's a level of, you could just get some hot air likes. Like, look, you can, either of us, and we're not, you know, we're, we're just generic looking guys, but we can go take a picture, leaning back in like a leather jacket, leaning against a car or something. And, you know, thirst trap, I think you're talking about, right? Well, (laughs) yes, yes, yes. But we can say like, buy the whip or something like that and put on Instagram and that will get more likes than a lot of the things that you post work related. But is that going to advance? Is that going to get to where you want to get to? Is that going to advance? See, to me, I'm like, 
you know, I'm posting certain things on Twitter or Instagram and, and they're micro targeted. The people that I know that want to see it, even if it's only targeted at six people to like it, three of which might hire me one day, that's more valuable to me than like the 55 like tweet that was kind of trolling and has, you know, alienated some people from hiring me. And I think that that's uh, an important part of understanding your particular value and a way to use social media. And, and if people don't follow you, I think you've developed a sweet spot for marrying a good scene from the office with a helpful sports moment. Um, I'm blanking on it. Was it, was it Cam, Cam Newton related or was it something from baseball? It was Jameis, well, Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston, was, yes. Yeah, there's a scene where it's actually in the, it's in the last episode that Michael Scott was in, the last episode of Steve Carell, but it's a scene with Will Ferrell and um, Ed Helms who plays Andy Bernard and they're, they're sitting making a pitch and it's like, you might be making the best decision or the worst decision. <laughs> and I tweeted that out last year after like a ridiculous Jameis loss. And it got a ton of love. And like, you know, it's funny because some people are, you know, say The Office is such a basic show. And some people say The Office is the greatest show ever. And I just feel like, like you know, that's where recognizing also that that, um, that GIF is going to relate. Or that, in that case, that was, I guess you'd call it a meme. It was a video. That that's going to relate to a lot of people. Like, look, sometimes I feel like it's important that I love Homeland, for example. Homeland did not have the following in its last season, which ended huge, this year. Huge Homeland did. fan over here, by the way. That's, yeah. But that's big. So that's where I'll share like a Saul Berenson GIF nowadays that isn't going to get as much love as an office GIF, but it, it means something to me. Then there's some things like my family has always loved Hawaii Five-0, the new, the new season. Not a lot of people in the sports, you know, they're not like, and, and I might I might hesitate to use one of those GIFs because even though I love it and I get it, there's just a lot of things that I, I feel like people won't get. Um, and I think that's where people need to understand something I shared. Didn't get as much love as I expected, but I shared there's the Danny Green meme or GIF now of when he's like, after they lost, the Lakers lost game five, when he's like, like he kind of knows he's about to get grilled after missing that shot. And I used that last night. I said, Clayton Kershaw getting ready to pitch in the World Series. It's like, you know, yeah. and, but part of it, and when I said it, I was like, oh, LA fans might love this because it's LA, even though I'm not from LA, I mean, it's sure. an L, two LA teams. So, you know, trying to gear things toward that way. I know I, I kind of didn't answer your original question of like, what are people going to get? I mean, they're going to get my voice. I try to be as positive on Twitter as possible, which people, you know, I'm not going to just shred guys. I know I just talked about the Kershaw thing, but that was more <laughs> of a joke. I'm going to be more excited, positive. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not full Rex Chapman, but I think it's, it's recognizing that that's what people want. You know, people complain about Twitter so much. And I say, if you're not, if you're not happy, if you feel like Twitter's this dark place, then you're choosing to follow certain accounts or to go down that route on Twitter. Because if you want to follow the upbeat people, the informative, actual newsworthy people, you can make that choice. No one's stopping you. And, and you know, something I use the search feature probably more than anything. Um, people are like, how'd you find that tweet? How'd, I see something that's trending or I want, want to know about something. I search it and the most relevant tweets are going to come up. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that people need to almost take a course on how to use Twitter more effectively. Yeah, that, that could be something uh, for colleges around the country as they build up their social media uh, education. I want to ask you about all the different things you're in and kind of just hopscotch around a bit. And, and you hit mm -hmm. on esports initially. And as you talked about, it was this great marriage of you love basketball, you love playing video games. So those kind of work well together. 
for those that are in it, they love it. And then there's, I think, the crowd that likes sports but doesn't really understand all of the joy around televised video games is maybe a, a, mm. a very um, lowbrow way that they would put it. What, what are people missing about, about eSports if they're not engaged with it? What's, what's enjoyable about it for you and where do you think it's headed? Well, I think people have to put themselves in their shoes when they were younger. You know, I'm not saying if you're 45 years old, you're going to love esports. You probably don't play a lot of video games right now. And I think that, you know, even for me, I'm 27. And, and in a lot of ways, people would say I'm past my prime in the industry. <laughs> and, and part of that's like, I always go back thir age 13, watching Madden NFL Nation on ESPN. I was like, Madden, Madden was the game in the mid 2000s. And it's like, I was like, I want to watch the best players in the world compete because I, this is the game that I love. I want to get better. To me, it's exciting. To me, it's more exciting to watch best players play Madden than like, we're going back to 2006, let's say a Bengals Browns game. Like it's, you know, it's not much different now, but um, you know, I'd rather watch that. And, and I remember watching that show and it was scripted for 23 minutes of TV and it was basically a documentary series. You didn't actually, you just saw the last play of a couple of games. And I was like, I just want to see these guys play kids. Now, you know, I just missed it. Um, the generation a few years after me, it's like, I want to see the best players playing my video game right now. Go to Twitch. I want to see the best highlights of people who are good at my video game that I'm trying to get better at that I love. That's my hobby. Go to YouTube. And, you know, that's where I think that people just don't understand who didn't have that at the time. Um, and I think that now these kids have it. And that's why it's so ingrained in their lifestyle. And it's what they understand and recognize and know. Um, I think that a lot of people also in the sports world, especially just think of sports video games. And there's a whole contingent of fans that are watching League of Legends and Overwatch League that let me tell you something, they're not hardcore sports fans and they weren't going to be. You know, just because I, I, there's the, I think there's a myth in the industry that these combat games that what we would call traditional esports are taking fans away from sports. No, they're not. I, I, always, I say that the kid that in 2002 was talking to you about World of Warcraft and you know, and civilization in 2008 or different types of games, you know, they're the ones watching a lot of these League of Legends types games. They were never going to watch um, the NFL on Sundays. It's not that you're losing those fans. I think sports need to find better ways to engage fans than just having them sit on the couch with commercials for, you know, hours on end. I think that's a bigger problem, but it's not that esports is taking away in terms of what do I like? I mean, I, I just, like I said, I love this, the sense of competition. I love that the NBA 2K league, those are NBA fans that are getting their opportunity to play a game that I know that I play with my friends that are getting, a, a, you know, an opportunity to play at the highest level and compete representing NBA organizations. I love that you brought up the comparison about uh, people thinking that someone that watches World of Warcraft, et cetera, is a, is a, is a sports fan that's being pilfered because back in the day, it's like nobody from Topps or Don Russ or Fleer was ever like, we got to go get those Magic the Gathering kids to get over here and buy, and buy a pack of uh, the 1995 Atlanta Braves full, full card set. You know, it was clearly two different things, and it's similar here in that it's not just because they're both esports. It doesn't mean that one is a traditional sports fan, as you explained. First of all, World of Warcraft, I just looked it up, debuted in fall 2004. So I said 2002. I jumped a little early there. But yeah, I, I think that it's, um, 
you know, it's understanding that I think that's just an excuse is what I'm saying. Now there's, I always go back to ESPN and a lot of sports properties tried to put these traditional esports on TV at the beginning. And that just wasn't where the fans were going to be. And that wasn't, you're still not, you know, they still put Overwatch League a lot of times on ABC on, on, on like Saturday and Sunday. And it's the people that are generally watching ABC, like, it's legitimizes and you can explain it like we got it on TV, but no one's, you're not going to get fans that way. That's not the fans are watching on Twitch or YouTube or wherever they're going to go because that's what they're ingrained with. They're younger. That's what, you know, where they should be. Um, and I think that that relationship has been something that people are still trying to get down. We always go back league of legends sold out Madison square garden. I think it was like 2015 or something like that. People still point that out as they sold out a sports arena, but, those people that were there don't spend a lot of time at Knicks and Rangers games. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm telling you that. And it's not, you know, there's definitely some crossover. I don't want to, I don't want to shun those people because there is crossover, but there's just not as much as people um, are insistent that there might be. You, you have a great new thing coming up. And as we're talking now, it hasn't happened yet on HQ, but when this airs, you'll already be well underway, but just tell us a little bit about, about Hall of Trivia and the excitement around that and what your role will be. Yeah, Hall of Trivia on HQ. I'll be the host. Um, it's in the HQ app. So if you can, um, you know, hopefully you never stopped and you haven't undownloaded or anything like that. But if you have, I encourage you to re-download that. Um, you know, this is a partnership between the Hall of Fantasy League, which was uh, previously known as the Crown League, which has been a startup that uh, plans on launching in the very near future that is basically uh, – I don't know if I would call it a professional fantasy football league, but there will be localized local teams. There'll be a, an eventual inaugural inaugural draft and there'll be actual teams representing cities that fans can have an interest in. So that'll come along. And then, a, and then between HQ trivia, um, it, we're going to air to start this fall on Thursdays, uh, the rest of the NFL season at 8 PM, which of course is right before Thursday night football. Um, a lot of football and fantasy football questions, some general sports as well, but definitely, um, you know, if, if you know football and you know fantasy football, you will have a chance to succeed in this. And on top of that, a lot of some of the questions are timely. Um, it's not that we have these bank questions that were already, you know, we'll have questions about something that just happened uh, in the past week. So, you know, you got to kind of have your finger to the pulse a little bit. And I think a lot of people will like, well, especially like that aspect of, um, you know, being in the know about things in that moment. So make sure you uh, get that HQ app installed. If for some silly reason, as Jeff said, you, you mistakenly I, undownloaded I don't know why you would do that. It. <laughs> uh, for those who follow you on social media and you talked about it a bit, your love of golf is clear, right? So you, you play it, you played it back in the day. There's when a, there's old photos that you'll circulate of like, Hey, here's me on a course, you know, back, back when I know there was a recent major that was at a course that you often played at and practiced at. I think it's might be that t-shirt behind you right now at winged foot to segue from golf lover golfer to then mm -hmm. covering and calling golf, uh, doing some of the PGA live stuff. What's that been like? Yeah. So I, um, I've done, let me go back. Actually, let me, let me backtrack for you real quick. So two and a half, I guess more two years ago, um, I left my job as an editor at the post game to go freelance. And, um, I knew I had some things lined up, uh, especially at the NBA 2k league, but I circled three areas that I, that I thought these were, these are the areas that I feel 
that I can break into, that I can succeed, and that I, I enjoy. And they were uh, esports, fantasy slash betting, and golf. And part of that was I felt like all three were budding industries with young talent growing, um, an opportunity for me to grow with those markets. And now golf people might say, golf? Golf has been around forever. What do you mean new market? Uh, I think golf is experiencing a rejuvenation. And I hosted a panel at Advertising Week two weeks ago that was um, the, the, re, the, the resurgence I think it was the resurgence of golf was what it was called. And part of it has everything to do with Tiger Woods. Um, Tiger Woods coming back, basically Tiger Woods was down, out, out for two years, looked like he was done and comes back and has a successful little run. And people are all of a sudden back on the Tiger wave and a new generation's on the Tiger wave. Tiger never experienced really the social media era. All of a sudden he's back for that. And you have all of this other young talent that isn't like your traditional young golf talent. You don't see a lot of khaki. You don't see a lot of brown pants anymore. You see a lot of black. You see a lot of gray. You see a lot of blue. You see a lot of funky colors. You see a lot more personal um, sort of, you know, an emergence. Last year in, in Phoenix, uh, the, the tournament there, the Waste Management Open, they, unfortunately, Kobe had passed away right before, but like a lot of guys were out there. Justin Thomas wore a Lower Marion Kobe jersey on the 16th hole, which is called the Stadium Hole, where there's a big crowd every time out there. Tony Finau wore a, a, a yellow, I believe it was a yellow Kobe jersey on the weekend. And you would never see something like this in golf with people expressing themselves in that sort of way. So there's this, this youth movement in golf that from a, from a broadcasting perspective, I want to be a part of, you mentioned it. I've played golf my whole life. My brother right now is, is uh, playing on some mini tours. My dad was almost a scratch golfer, not quite a scratch golfer growing up. And so it's something I grew up on. I played high school golf and, and I, I'm passionate about it. I had three years ago, I was calling something, I, no, I wasn't calling something. Three years ago, I was sitting in an office doing a desk job as an editor, and it was right when Tiger came back, and I had PGA Tour Live on on a Thursday or Friday morning streaming it, and I'm yelling on every hole, like, guys, make a, make a putt. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, someone said, I've never seen someone so passionate about golf like that. And so recently I got to call PGA Tour Live for the Sanderson Farms Championship, called it out of PGA Tour Entertainment HQ in Jacksonville, and it was like that coming to life where I was just able to be expressive and loud in a golf sort of way, um, not like a Doc Emmerich sort of way, while calling golf. And it's something that's really driving me right now to be a young media voice um, and to keep to grow the sport among younger people and introduce them to it, um, not just talking about the high level uh, you know, difference between certain lies and things like that, but just getting excited about things that are going on. You, you mentioned excited and I was gonna ask you because you did it from a remote studio. People think of golf announcers, it's that, it's that lower sound, often because they're there, right? So they're, so they're at the course and you really don't wanna be disrupted if you've been to a, a golf event, right? There is a lot of like decorum to not interrupt the, the play or to distract any of the golfers. Do you have to bring that same level when you're not on site or do you, does, do you have a, a golf announcer voice you tap into? So I, like you said, I was in a studio. So, right. We had for PGA tour live, we did have um, John McGinnis who's a former player on the course and he had to talk of course, 
you know, at a, at a, at something like this, like this guy's, you know, he's got about a hundred because he's right there and there's no fans. So really there's no fans. So he was saying like, even, and and I've talked to a few of the, the on the course reporters right now, they have to be even quieter than normal, but like, look, Jim Nance, for example, has mastered that master's voice, right? Talking. He doesn't have to talk that way. He's in a tower that's covered. Like he could, no one can hear him. Uh, if he if he talked more, I think it's it's understanding a rhythm. Um, I think that you know if a guy makes a big putt, you can get into it more than you used to. Um, I, there's no fans right now, so I think it's even more important that you don't get even the and it's not people make fun golf clap right. If a guy makes a putt at the Masters, people go insane. Yeah, they go insane for that that moment right after the crowd goes nuts, and you don't have that right now. So to me, it's important for the announcer to carry on that sort of like give that that energy. And I think just younger fans want more energy. I know there's so many jokes about like Sunday afternoon naps watching golf and things like that, but I just think we've talked about it, right? The betting that's going on on Sunday, you have to acknowledge it too. Uh, the fantasy impact that's going on. There's there's real exciting things. I find the the idea that watching golf isn't exciting to be a myth in that if you're watching golf on a Sunday and, and it's close, they can be going from shot to shot to shot. There's less dead moments than in other sports mm-hmm. because there's it feels like it's just nonstop. There's a million guys on the course. You can keep going. So I want to, you know, that's my personality is that I'm going to keep that energy up. And like I said, it's not Gus Johnson. You know, it's not like going full Gus Johnson, Texas, Oklahoma, while things are going on, but you don't have to be whispering every second. There can be a new school level of like, when a guy hits a good shot, like, let's get hyped about it. Well, it's funny too, because having done a lot of those remote broadcasts for non-golf related sports, one of the challenges, one of the things producers always talk to you about is you're not there. You're not able to feed off of the crowd. So you actually have to ramp it up to another level to try and bring that excitement out that you would normally get if you're in the arena and you're feeling the fans and the noise and all that sort of stuff. Um, but, but I like your take on it too, because I think that is one of the things the sport to use is some of that excitement. And if you're invested in golf, when you watch it, you're so right. It, it bounces around. You're not, you know, if you think about even watching NFL, right. And you're waiting for the snap and then they're going to punch, you got to go to commercial and come back when, when golf is on, if they're not in commercial, typically it is quick moving to here's this guy shot the minute the ball lands and know where it's at. They place it onto the next. At the PGA championship this year, which was in San Francisco, Colin Morikawa won, but there was something insane. There were like six guys in the lead together at one point at like the ninth hole on Sunday and there were another you know it was like 15 guys were broken up by two shots at a time it was insane and and, you know to me I'm I'm watching there I'm like how can anyone say this is boring right now like I can't (laughs) they can't even keep up with what's going on um so and look I get it golf's not for everyone but but for me um you know I'd love to be in a position one day where I'm the guy who's able to bring that like this is why this is really awesome what's going on right now or or you know the storylines of I mentioned Jason Kokrak earlier who won for the first time he's 35 years old I think it was 233 starts like the guy's been around forever he finally got his first victory holding off people with a lot more money than him with a lot more victories with a lot more uh, success. And then you could throw in that it was in Vegas. So who knows what he did with the money that night, but um, you know, there's ways to really get into that and tell a guy's story. Sport, sports gambling, daily fantasy exploding. Uh, you hit on this a bit. It's, it's becoming more and more commonplace in broadcasts in the way sports are covered. I feel like we're nowhere near a saturation point on that. You're going to see it 
get embedded even more and more in stuff. Where, where do you see it going, getting involved in maybe not all sports, but the ones that lend themselves to these sorts of things? I, I think that, and so when I was at PG, so you mentioned FanDuel actually earlier. Um, so I did for every Devils game this past year on MSG Networks, every Devils game on, uh, on, in the local market, which was all but two. The Devils were not exactly blowing the roof off this year. And then during Islanders playoff games, I did a one-minute FanDuel segment where I just broke down the lines for that game. Um, it was basically, we always did the, the spread, which is one and a half goals for every hockey game, the puck line. Um, we did over-unders and then two prop bets, non-player prop bets. Uh, and then with, when I showed up at PGA Tour Live, they have a DraftKings sponsorship. They're like, you're going to have to say in our featured groups the odds of you know, how, who's going to win? Are, are you comfortable with that? I'm like, I've been doing, this is like rolls off the top. <laughs> Am I comfortable? <laughs> yeah. Like I've just been doing this, you know, 82 hockey games a year. Um, and I, I think that it's, it's just very interesting how that you're going to have, be it three years from now, every sport that you're watching is going to have some sort of fantasy or betting uh, in broadcast plug. Uh, and that might be the odds that might just be a sponsorship, but it's going to be everywhere you go. Uh, you can look at Europe, you can look at Australia as great examples for what's going to go on. Um, I think we're going to have a lot of in-app partnerships, whether that be that you can be, wa you can be on your betting app watching, or you can be on your app, you know, ESPN, NBC sports, whatever watching and have the betting right there like you can just click a button you don't have to go into a separate app i think that's where we're going to be but i think also I, if i could critique the betting media industry right now i feel like there's a lot of doubling down on the really hardcore bettors um you know when you tune into one of these nfl betting shows or or one of these betting specific a lot of times they go really in my mind too high level you know, they start going, they start alienating the casual better and really go to like the guy who's sitting, you know, at the casino every week and who needs to know every single, and there's a place for that. But I think there's such an opportunity to just, hey, here's tonight's line, here's the over under, and here's one cool prop that you can take for a guy. And I think that's where there's some casual people who are just like, well, I was going to watch this game anyway, you know, might as well add a little stake to it. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's a lot more, like I said, with this, the PGA Tour Live aspect, I think it's cool that you're just here, here you go. Here's, this is the group you're going to be watching if you hang with us for the next four hours, three to four hours. And here's so you can, the odds that you can bet on one of these three guys to be the, to have the best score today. And it's very simple as opposed to like high level, well, when the wind's going this way. And, you know, I think that just alienates some people. Yeah, no, you're right. That's a, that's a much more palatable way in to someone who's not like, I have a 12-team parlay and, you know, everything's riding on this, right? It definitely getting more people involved. Um, so many different things you're in. One of the ones you talked about earlier, hosting panels, that sort of thing. Just curious, in, in your mind, you've done a lot of this. What, what makes for a good moderator panel host? What are you mm -hmm. trying to accomplish when you get handed that job? Well, you, you know, it depends on the situation so much. And so many times the, you have to recognize that the panelists, it's not as, it's not necessarily like you're doing a 60 minutes interview, right? Because the panelists are on that panel. They're, to, they're there to talk about something. Um, and, you know, if you spend the whole time investigating, you probably will never get asked back. But at the same time, you don't want to just fluff ball people. You know, no one wants to see, I, I always joke, with with people who we know around the new york area who go to all of these panels it's like i've heard some of the same people do the same speech so many times so it's like you know you want to get 
you want to you want to push the envelope a little bit that you get into some um, actual conversation. I like to give people the floor, like so many people at the beginning, explain who you are. And now let's get into why is this industry gone this way? You know, I've done so many esports panels, and to me, that's an easy one because there's so many people out there who don't understand. So it's like, you know, I, I have a, a panel. I don't know if I want to give everything away, but like a hashtag sports panel coming up um, with uh, Zach Leonsis, Ariel Powers is on it, Nicole Lapointe, Jameson, everyone, it's called the crossover. Everyone comes from something different in, in not just directly into esports, came from something else. So like take Zach Leonsis, the Leonsis family has been owning sports teams for it feels like forever. Why did they feel, why did they feel like it was worth their money? to go into esports, and you know it's pushing zach there like what's you know how are you allocating the same amount of resources what, what is it different from a business perspective are you pitching the same brands is it crossover team liquid like we talked about a, a team liquid playing csgo is not going to have the same fans as the washington capitals it's just not going to happen but why is it still worth your while to do that so it's it's you know pushing those sorts of understanding what is the crap what does the audience actually care about you know and trying to get the panelists to, to explain what makes their journey or their decisions unique um, and kind of dropping some knowledge, getting the, the audience to walk away feeling like uh, they learned something. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It definitely feels like a facilitator role. The ones that struggle sometimes, I think, is if, is if it, the moderator maybe tries to be too involved as a panelist. Oh, well, that's the other thing. Facilitator. It's like, get out of there. Like, you know, know, recognize what you're there for. And I think this comes to the broadcasting too and interviewing also. Like the best interviewers um, are the ones who just ask the question and get out of the way, are willing to follow up, but don't go on and don't, don't talk about yourself. Like don't answer the question before the panelist or the interviewee gets to answer the question. You might know the answer, but let the the panelists or the interviewee give you that answer and then add more that you don't know, that you didn't know was coming. Give them that opportunity. There's a few more here for you, Jeff. Really insightful stuff as you've kind of taken us through your, your Take journey. it all with a grain of salt. <laughs> you said earlier, uh, 27 years old, relatively young in this industry. What, what does uh -oh. an ideal stop look like 10 years down the road? Do you, do you have something that you'd ideally be into? Is it, is it the same kind of collage of things? Well, I think it's a collage of things uh, with the la where I could cut my stress because I have one check that's written to me and healthcare and other benefits like that. You know, I, I'd love to, and, and we talked about this, I guess, a little before we started that, I mean, I'm going month to month, day to day, like I, stuff pops up I, out of nowhere or stuff. I'm not, think, I'm not able to think months ahead. I don't know what's going to happen with my life months ahead. You know, I'd love to be at a point where I'm solidified into, I think it's a few things and I don't know if that's a few individual things or if that's working for one umbrella, big brand that has me allocated maybe for three different sports, three different seasons. Um, and being able to feel like I can get, I can dig into that. You know, uh, something that, why do I do all this generalist stuff? Why do I, you know, do I, I mentioned I quit my old job two years ago and I said, I'm gonna spread my wings. I'm gonna take on as much as possible in as many fields as possible. I'm going to grind and find what works. And I'll put in some, some time and effort into something that ultimately, like you said, is not something I'm doing 10 years from now. 
for me, I need to try seven to 10 things to find out those three things that will uh, give me a comfortable career path 10 years from now. A couple more here as we wind down before we get into our, our three uh, final what's good questions. I'm a proud Mammoth U graduate on the, on the Jersey Shore there. I know you're a Northwestern guy. One of the things I always talk about with a few of my fellow alums that are, that are in this business is we kind of malign a little bit of the network that our school has or doesn't have from time to time. And you went to one of the bigger schools and you're talking about journalism, sports media, in that vein of Syracuse, that sort of thing. What's the, what's the power of the Northwestern Network? Why is that valuable? Well, first of all, we're coming at this Northwestern Maryland this weekend. We get some, we get some Big Ten, some, <laughs> some absolutely decent Big Ten football uh, coming this weekend. Uh, Northwestern's meant so much to me. You know, it was, um, it was when I visited schools and, and I saw Northwestern, it was, I, people always ask, well, I didn't have a second choice. Like I was so all in on the academics, the journalism, the uh, proximity to a big city like Chicago that I had not experienced before. And then the network that I've been able to gain from Medill, it's everywhere you go. Um, there's someone, you know, Ravel didn't actually go to Medill, by the way. He was actually a theater student, a common <laughs> myth. But like I'm saying that I could show up somewhere, there's Darren. I could show up at the U.S. Open and, and a couple of years ago say, hey, Rachel Nichols, you know, I know Professor so-and-so who went to school with you um, and be able to, a guy like Steve Weissman has been someone that I've gotten to bounce ideas off of on, off Tennis Channel and NFL Network is a great example of just a, a guy who I think I can relate to and, and you know, um, somewhere that I'd love to be. 10 to 15 years down the road. Um, I just think that there's, there's so many of those, you know, obviously saying the name um, helps and you still got to do the work. I think too many people just go to a school and they think they can just say that and it gets them everywhere. But knowing that there are people that can relate to me that have been through the same thing as me that are prominent in the field that can have that sort of, um, sort of pride, it's been nice. Um, it's, been, it's been beneficial. Um, but it's also been, you know, I don't think that people, I don't think there's as much as people think where it's just like, oh, you went to this school, you're hired, you know, you're hired, you know, so-and-so you're hired. You still got to really put in that effort, but it's just been nice to be able to show up places and to see people and to be able to have somebody to talk to Mike Greenberg about, even if it's for a few minutes. Um, <laughs> I saw him at, at Hashtag Sports a couple of years ago. I interviewed him. And he was with his daughter and he's like, she was a senior in high school. And he said, I'm trying to get her to, to, to apply. You know, can you give her the pitch for Medill? I'm like, all right, Mike Greenberg asking me to <laughs> make Northwestern appealing to his daughter. You know, I say like, it, it's crazy for something like that. But that wouldn't have happened if I didn't have that experience. Yeah, I, I always joke, you know, in lieu of having gone to one of those schools, my, my goal is to befriend as many Northwestern and Syracuse grads as I can find. And then just kind of like tangentially be part of the network. Because you're right, it doesn't. It isn't as if you graduate and they're like, here's your diploma and here's your job, you know, but, but to your point, there is sort of that helpful factor of knowing people. So I was just kind of curious for your, for your take on that coming from that school. Well, I know you say, Hey, I know Don Povia and that opens, you know, so many mammoth so doors. Many. All, <laughs> all the doors are open. <laughs> um, I, I think that, uh, I, it's also, I don't know, it's been interesting, like, like even Jay Adonde right now is, is do, he is actually running the sports journalism program at Northwestern. And I've been able to talk to his class and talk to him and, and he just will DM about random things on Twitter. And, and, you know, like 15 year old me is thinking, I'm just DMing Jay Adonde right now, like casually, you know, it's, 
but uh but that's part of it is like you know he my old boss at the post game went to college with him and they knew each other and that's how I started that struck up that relationship with him and um you know it's it's been it's been awesome to see I I do tell people this I'm gonna give so we we would have people come a lot of really great speakers come to Northwestern kids would crowd around like you know the Michael Wilbons and the Adondes and the Mike Greenbergs of the world and they would, you know, try to give them like their, their 30 second elevator pitch while taking a selfie at the end. And I always felt like the people that I got the most out of were meeting the producers and the editors and the people behind the scenes that came through to Northwestern that could actually have a conversation and say, Hey, I can introduce you to this person who hires the people. Like I, I look, let's be honest. Mike Wilbon isn't hiring people to work for ESPN. He can maybe, if he gets to know you, introduce you to someone, but it's really those guys um, behind the scenes, Willie Weinbaum, who's a big time producer at, at ESPN has been someone that I've been able to just bounce ideas off of who's in the Medill network in New York that I just, I wouldn't have, wouldn't have had. And people who went to, other than people who went to Medill and people in the sports deep in the sports media industry might not know who he is, but he's a big deal and it's great to get to know him. You're exactly right. And you just gave away one of the, one of the big secrets there that a lot of people don't understand is that it is those uh, other quote unquote behind the scenes folks are the ones that are often helping to facilitate the hiring, not, not the very big name that you see on TV or in print or wherever you might go. Um, final questions here for you, a little bit um, tangential to the rest of our conversation, but we end on a high note here on what's good. What's something you've done for yourself lately? It doesn't have to be work related at all. Well, so I, I run I was a big runner before this pandemic, and I think I've been even more so of a runner now. I try to run almost every day um, before lunch. And I've gotten into this rhythm that you would never get if you worked in an office, right? Where I come down in the morning, I'm able to eat breakfast. And, and this is all indicative on I don't have anything I have to actually present myself for in the morning. Um, you know, my morning is a lot of uh, eating breakfast in my pajamas, drinking my cup of coffee, uh, sending all the emails I have to send, reading everything it, that I need to read, getting educated from the night before, um, a lot of preparation, a lot of um, things that I, like I said, that I need to do that isn't presenting myself. Um, then I go for a run and I come back and I, depending on time, eat lunch or shower first and do the other. And I'm just feeling great by the afternoon. I'm not worried about, I got to finish at this time so I can get my workout in or anything like that. I can, I, I basically have just time to, to do that on air stuff that I might do like this. Look, why'd I tell you two o'clock? Like, so I could do all that in the morning so I could get all, get all that done. And um, I don't know, I've just felt like it's, it's made my mental health um, almost better than sometimes when I'm in the city and I have to be on someone else's schedule. So my encouragement, you don't have to do what I did, but my encouragement is to find when you can get that pocket of exercise that'll just make you feel better. And that might be doing jumping jacks in your apartment in the city or something like that. But it's, to me, it's just, it's, it, it's made my life so much better to get, to get out that release during the day and not feel like I'm just stuck at my desk all day. What's something you've done for someone else recently? Um, let, me, uh, let me say that I will be driving today my girlfriend to the doctor. And I feel like that's, uh, you know, you got you to gotta adjust your schedule accordingly for certain things in this pandemic. And I, I think that, um, you know, it'll be nice also just to have the ride and just 
it'll be just be nice. It, it's, it's something that, you know, we get caught up in being great, having crazy schedules and stuff like that. But I think it's important. Uh, and lastly, what's the thing that you turn to for kind of an escape? What, what's made you laugh recently? So if we can go back to the office, I know it's not so much recently, but um, I, I am on like the, I fall asleep to the office right now every night. And I'll give the office credit for this, that I can watch the same episodes over and over again. And it's perfect because I'll laugh a little bit, but I've watched every episode a million times. So I don't feel like I have to stay up and I'm missing anything. You know, I couldn't find a show that I could, I could watch and fall asleep to that. I wasn't so preoccupied in knowing what's going to happen. And so that's kind of a dance around about what's going to laugh, but I've been doing that, that, and and then also I I'm rewatching who is America right now, the Sasha Baron Cohen show from two years ago, getting me ready for Borat too. And it's even funnier. I think the second time around putting to putting to putting the last two years of this country in perspective, because that came out in 2018. I'll check that out. I, and I also think that Parks and Rec falls into the office category of a show that you can kind of watch over and over again and fall asleep to. Yeah. So here's the problem. I haven't, I've only watched the first season. So if I watch it, I can't fall asleep because I'll be like, I need, to, I need to know what's going on. I'm going to throw out a thing here and you might, you might never want to talk to me again. But I think start to finish Parks and Rec is better than The Office start to finish. I think The Office at its zenith is better than Parks and Rec at its top. But I think the complete package, and I, and I have to say, because I kind of like checked out Michael Scott left of The Office. I've still seen it, but I feel overall Parks and Rec is, is better beginning to end. I, I can't answer that because I don't know, because I've only seen like the first season basically of Parks and Rec. And by the way, I struggled through it the same way I struggled through the first season of The Office, where it's like, all right, we get it. Michael's a terrible boss. You know, <laughs> it's like, I, I get it. Um, you know, Amy Poehler's character just like, is a little bit like ditzy about about things and you know uh, can we move on can we can we can we build on this and apparently it does i need to get into it yeah fair enough uh jeff great talk always good to catch up with you uh congrats on everything and looking forward to checking out on hq and everywhere else soon of course and same to you 